1966, the Beatles released the song Eleanor Rigby, a song which, according to Wikipedia, is often described as a lament for lonely people. Have you ever really been alone? Have you ever felt lonely, even surrounded by a room full of people? I'm going to read a couple of stories of people experiencing loneliness that ran in the Irish Times just a few years ago. First one says this, says, I'm a 44-year-old professional woman, very happily married with two lovely children. Lucky, eh? I never thought I would feel the kind of loneliness that makes my heart ache, but I do. I'm originally from Ireland, and I moved to Wales 20 years ago for work, met my husband, who was also Irish, and settled into life there. And a large group of female friends acquired through baby playgroups, school, and work. Two years ago, we made the decision to return to Ireland to live so that we could be closer to family and so our children would grow up in Ireland. I have no regrets about the decision, as we as a family have settled well, and I realize that I never felt that I truly was at home in the UK. However, I've left all my female friends behind me. I have one close friend who is Irish, but she no longer lives in this country. My university friends are scattered around Ireland. I work full-time, so I don't have much time for hobbies. My loneliness takes me by surprise at times. I can be driving along, and I see a group of women out walking, or, for example, just walking along and chatting, putting the world to rights. Or I might be out with my husband and see a group of women in the pub howling with laughter about something silly. I don't have that close female friendship anymore or someone to go for coffee with or go for a walk with, and, and I crave it. I miss it so much. Even writing this email is bringing me close to tears. I don't know how to go about making new friends. At my age, everyone seems to have established their groups. Their groups of friends. I know I should put myself out there, as it were, but it's easier said than done. Let me read one more. So it says, I'm a 33-year-old guy. I've, I have a great group of friends, both lads and girls. I have a huge circle of acquaintances, too, but a lot of my main group of friends are getting married and having kids. I'm single. It does get very lonely. There was a time about two or three years ago when I suffered from depression, and if I sent a group text via WhatsApp and didn't get my reply, my mind would race, were they all out somewhere and don't want me to be out with them? Even now that I've come through that, it's still lonely at the weekends. I work in a small office, and while I get on with my workmates, it's not a sociable job. I'm from a small town, too, so if I went out alone to meet new people, I'd stick out like a sore thumb. It's definitely hard to meet new people as you get older. I still see my mates, but not as often. But life evolves and moves on. Perhaps some of you can relate to these stories. See, it fascinates me that, that I can feel lonely when I am surrounded by people, surrounded by even family and friends. But boggles my mind even more that though I know the God of the universe personally, that I can at some moments feel as if I am all alone in this great big world. And to compound that frustration, I serve at a church whose mission statement begins with, we are a redeemed community. Now, I understand biblically and theologically how a person who does not know Jesus can feel alone. It makes sense. They are destined for an eternity with no hope. Isolated from God forever, unless they come to faith in Jesus but how is it? How is it that I can be bought with the blood of Jesus 
who died on the cross for my sins and who rose again to give me new life and still battle loneliness? Well, the answer is that we are still battling the flesh while we await our future home in heaven. We have not arrived yet to that perfect place. We are still surrounded by wickedness, and we have an enemy whose name is Satan, and he desires nothing more than to distract us from enjoying the abundant life that Jesus came to offer. And if he can whisper in our ear, just for a bit, and if he can get us to think about ourselves and our problems more than anything else, then we might just miss the opportunities to show the love of Christ to others and enjoy the blessings of what God has given Does that thwart God's plan? No. But there are consequences to everything that we do and everything that we say. And if we do not cling to Jesus, and if we do not walk in step with the Holy Spirit, then we may not get to enjoy some of the amazing things that the Lord wants for us to enjoy, even right now on this earth. To battle loneliness ourselves or to help others in that battle, we must understand the simple truth that if you know Jesus, you are part of the redeemed community. That is a fact. It is not about how I feel. It is not about whether I get invited to this event or that event. As a believer of Jesus Christ, I am part of God's family, his redeemed community. And if I have placed my faith in Jesus, then the opportunity before me is that I get to learn what it means not to forsake what he has given, not to forsake the community that he has offered to me no matter what is going on in my life. Just like I must be careful to speak to others no matter what situation, then I am to fight hard to engage with God's community, to reap the benefits of the family. But it is hard work. It does take much effort. Pastor Wayne made this statement on community. He says, community is neither smooth nor easy. It is among the most important aspects of life that is built to last. It is truly something that must be practiced. When we look at Scripture, we begin in the, in, in the beginning. Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Solomon the wisest person known tried to search for meaning in many different things. And he said this in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 7 through 12, said, Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift his fellow. But woe to him who is alone and who, when he falls, has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So we know that we have been given an incredible blessing. The question is, how do we cultivate what we have been given? How do we do the work among the thorns and the thistles of the flesh that we have to live with? How how do we work 
What do we do to enjoy the blessings of this community that God has given to us? Solomon, again, has some instructions for us on how we are to work on these community relationships. And we're going to look at just four of them today. First one I want to discuss is to be sensitive. One area that we need to work on to be better members of the redeemed community is that we need to be sensitive. Now that word sensitive can be used a number of different ways, so let's make sure that we're on the same page. Merriam-Webster has a number of meaning entries for the word sensitive, but we're going to look at number three. It says highly responsive or susceptible, such as two examples, number one and number two. One says easily hurt or damaged, especially easily hurt emotionally. Two is delicately aware of the attitudes and feelings of others. Now, it seems to me that most of the time when we speak of someone being sensitive, it falls more on the side of describing the one who is easily hurt emotionally. Let me just say this. We do not need to live in that manner. We do not need to live as ones who are easily hurt. However, we do need to be the kind of people who are aware of the attitudes and the feelings of others. Here are some examples and situations from Proverbs. If you turn to Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25, verse 20. says this, it says, Whoever sings a song to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. You've seen that chemistry experiment, correct? Here's a comment by Roger Meyer in an article from tomorrowsworld.org. Mr. Meyer says, Taking off your coat when it is cold is the exact opposite of what a person should do. You will be cold. Pouring vinegar on soda will make them both neutral. Acids and bases cancel each other out. So the vinegar is no longer useful and neither is the soda. Likewise, a grieving person with a heavy heart needs to grieve and mourn. And they have no use for someone trying to cheer them up by singing songs to them. I stated in Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who who weep. Similarly, Proverbs 27, 14 says, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rises early in the morning. Rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Oh, wait, it gets better. <laughs> the Bible Knowledge Commentary on the Old Testament states this is blessing, i.e. praising or commending a neighbor is commendable, but not early in the morning. Timing and sensitivity to others who are sleeping are important. The wrong time for the right action causes it to be received as a curse. If you are not a morning person, you can understand how someone singing loudly early before you rise is annoying. It's not sensitive to dismiss. It's not sensitive to dismiss those around you and how they think and what they are dealing with and to place your desires above them. That is not being sensitive. Jesus said that the, great, that the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. We need to learn to be sensitive to those around us. We need to put others before us. We need to listen to them so that we can give time for relationships to develop before we just put walls up because we only think about ourselves and our needs and our desires and our cares. Let's be sensitive. Another important area for us to fight hard and practice within the community is to be honest. We've got to be honest. 
If we're going to enjoy life together, then we must speak life to one another, which includes being honest, because lying is never helpful. Lying is never helpful. Proverbs 25, 18 through 19 says, A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Trusting in a treacherous man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. If you and I are going to be a good friend who is benefiting the community, then we must not lie. We must tell the truth. Because when you and I decide to speak falsely about our neighbor, we might as well bring a physical weapon. We might as well bring a physical weapon to beat them up because it is that violent. But we don't see it that way. We too often excuse ourselves from those little white lies that don't seem to be harmful at the time. Thinking about this brought back a memory of a few years back when I was talking to one of our church preschool workers. She was telling me about a difficult moment when a child continued to lie in the classroom. This leader approached mom and discussed what was going on, that this had become a habit in the class that this kid was lying. The mom simply laughed it off as if it were cute. Brothers and sisters, it must not be so among us. We must be honest. If we're going to enjoy the fruit of the redeemed community, then we, and then we must be honest and we must teach our little ones the importance of the truth. We must teach and live out the truth so that we can be depended on when needed. If you and I choose to constantly embellish what is real or lie to protect ourselves, then we will find ourselves untrustworthy. The more I get to work alongside first responders as a fire department chaplain, I learn more and more of the importance of training, the importance of practice. These men and women are constantly practicing in order to be ready for troubling moments that they must be focused and unwavering in everything that they do. I mean, how helpful would it be if they just walked into an emergency without any practice? Would you feel confident in them if you knew that all they did was sit around and watch TV and eat or do anything else but prepare? No. In the same way, we must practice being honest so that we are deemed reliable in calamity. Trusting in an untrustworthy person is not helpful in a dangerous situation. I don't know about you, but... Maybe you've noticed this. As believer in Jesus Christ in North Texas, we actually have it pretty easy, don't we? We actually have it pretty easy. But I do wonder what our future will hold. Jesus promised that we would not be liked for knowing him, that we would be persecuted. And I wonder if that real persecution is going to hit my home and my life for my belief in Jesus a little more different than, than what I experience these days. And if it does, I want to be ready. If it does, I want to be ready. I want to be trustworthy so that you can depend on me no matter what. Even if my way of life is in danger, I want to be the friend that each of you can count on. And my hope is that you and I will practice being honest so that we can trust one another, whether it's a good time or a bad time. We need to be honest. And that kind of honest relationship develops and grows 
if we are willing to rebuke those within our community appropriately. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. When I was just out of college, I was talking to a lady one day who was hosting myself and some friends. For some reason, I began to brag about the fact that I was very hesitant to try new things if they had a slim chance of actually working. After all, I am a perfectionist, and I cannot have failure in my life. I mean, how would that reflect the glory and the excellence of God? Or so I thought. This wise lady looked me in the eyes and said, Jeremy, you're arrogant. You are acting as if you are in control, but you need to turn to the Lord and trust him in faith and follow him even if you don't think you will succeed. That moment didn't feel great. But by the Spirit of God, I was able to look back at her and say, you're right. You're right. And that has led me on a long journey of learning deeper of what it means to trust God and make decisions, even if there's a chance of failure on my side. And not long after that conversation, I was engaged to Jenny and on my way to California to begin seminary. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and we must learn to be graciously and lovingly honest before one another so we can grow, so each of us can grow to look more like our Savior Jesus. We get to the point of being honest by taking on the role of friend. Taking on the role of friend. Taking on the role and being counselors to one another. We get to be counselors to one another. Proverbs 27, 9. says, oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. We have a unique opportunity to help each other find refreshment in our souls by simply caring for one another and offering sage advice. So Jenny buys these uh, smelly oil room refresher things that make the house not smell like dog all the time. Sometimes, though, those things need to be replaced, and we don't quite get to the store, remember to pick them up. But when we do, when she picks them up and I come home and she's changed that out, it changes my whole world. My whole thought process can change. It can actually make my heart glad because I'm not smelling dog anymore. But way better, way better is sitting with a good friend. Sitting with someone and having them listen and care for me in good times and in bad times and offering sweet counsel, good fellowship, and it's energy boosting to my soul when that friend takes the time to sit and listen and offer me help. One of the best parts of being in the redeemed community is that we get to share the load together. We don't have to be alone, we're not alone. We get to help each other out, and by listening and being a counselor, both parties get to benefit from a growing relationship that constantly sharpens one another. 
Relationship that constantly sharpens one another. Familiar verse, Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Tim and Kathy Keller comment on this verse in their Proverbs devotion. They say, friends sharpen and challenge one another, being vulnerable and sensitive to one another, but also making proposals for how the other should change. Friends regularly have constructive clashes that sharpen each party's understanding of the world and of themselves. The mutuality of the deep counsel that friends can give is rare and something everyone needs. Sometimes it is sweet and pleasant, like we see in 27.9, and sometimes sharp and perhaps painful, as we see in 27.17. End quote. For us to live life together and gain the benefits, we must be ready to sit and listen and give wise counsel to one another. And that will only happen if we are present with one another. That will only happen if we are present with one another. Proverbs 27.10 says this, says, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Now, at first glance, this might be a little confusing. MacArthur Bible Study notes comment this, said, Adhere to tried and true friends. The ties of blood may be less reliable than those of true friendship. Adhere to tried and true friends. By reading Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. We know that depending on blood relatives, being near to blood relatives when in need is not wrong, for a brother is born for adversity. The reality is for that most of us, and many times, the practical and relational ties that we have with people outside of our blood relatives can be closer and tighter for many reasons. We need to not forsake the friendship opportunities that are all around us. We need to take advantage of what God has given us in his community. Hebrews 10, 24-25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but in encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Stephen Gare comments on, this, on these verses in his Hebrew commentary. This is a bit long, so hang with me for just a moment. Let's, let's read this. Gare says this. says, The author calls his readers to carefully consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This admonition precludes the sort of casual, hell fellow, well-met attitude one experiences so frequently in the 21st century church. So many of us consider the weekend a certified success by simply dragging our bodies and those of our kids, into the church sanctuary, smiling pleasantly, if plastically, at our neighbors and enduring the ensuing service. If while we are sitting there, we actually consider or ponder anything, it is what we intend to eat for lunch. And if we were to study anything, it might be the clock. He's not done. The sort of mutual encouragement stimulation spoken of in Hebrews is miles away from the congregational experience of many believers. The word translated stimulate is paroxysmos, from which we get the word paroxysm. The English word means to convulse as well as a sudden violent emotion or action. Unfortunately, many of us can probably agree that this definition is more congruent with a typical church experience than the stimulation of anyone to love and good deeds. The definition of paroxysmos as stimulation conveys both a positive and negative connotation. It is used only one other time in the New Testament, and that is of sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, as we see in Acts 15.39. 
May this exhortation in Hebrews energetically be taken to heart in churches and serve as a much-needed corrective to any deficiencies in our congregational fellowship. End quote. If we are going to enjoy the fruits of the redeemed community, then we must be present. And not only do we need to just show up, we need to engage in what is going on around us. We need to pay attention to what is going on around us. In 1974, the band America released a song entitled Lonely People. Artist Dan Peake and his wife Catherine had written the song as an optimistic response to the Beatles hit Eleanor Rigby. Here's some of the lyrics of the song. This is for all the lonely people thinking that life has passed them by. Don't give up until you drink from the silver cup and ride that highway in the sky. This is for all the single people thinking that love has left them dry. Don't give up until you drink from the silver cup. You never know until you try. Describing the metaphor, Dan Peake is quoted saying, it is possible to drink from another's well of experience and be refreshed. Dan has also said that he would recall that in his post-America solo career, he would utilize lonely people to close his concerts, introducing the song with words to the effect that Jesus is the answer to loneliness. On the advice of a fan, Dan Peake began amending the actual lyrics of the song to convey this pro-Christian message, and Dan Peake recorded a lyrically revised version of Lonely People for his 1986 album, Electro Voice. This revised version amended the original lyrics and ride that highway in the sky, and you never know until you try, to, and give your heart to Jesus Christ. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are part of the greatest family ever. The greatest family of all time. We get to be a part of, no matter what your blood family looks like, good, bad, or otherwise, we get to be part of the redeemed community by belief in Jesus. And the question is, are we responding to others with reaching out and offering hope the way Dan and Catherine Peake did by paying attention and being sensitive to needs and offering hope? How well are you and I working to enjoy the family that we have been graciously given? Are you all in? Are you working constantly and learning how to serve and bless those in your family? Are you keeping an arm's distance or farther simply out of fear or just plain selfishness? We need to pay careful attention. We need to be sensitive to those around us. We need to be honest with one another and fight for the truth. And we need to show willing hearts to be counselors for each other so that we might spur one another on to love and good deeds. And we do this by showing up to be present in the body. You and I need to be friends with one another. We need to be friendly. It isn't easy. It's not easy. But solid, real friendship is worth it. It's worth it. Scott Saul states this about real friendship in his book entitled Befriend. Highly recommend this book. Scott says, real friendship is hard. There are other less real versions of friendship. The less real versions are less because they are less costly less committed, less disruptive, less scary, less gritty, less gutsy, and less out of our control than real friendship. But here's the rub. Less real versions of friendship are also less rich. 
In the short run, they feel better and smoother than real friendship, but in the long run, they leave us lonely and alone. And it's not good to be alone. The Bible says that they, those in the world that don't know Jesus, they will know us by our love. They will know us by how well we take care of one another. So the question is, how are we living as friends and exemplifying the way Jesus calls us friends? My prayer is that we continue to work hard. That we will practice living as a redeemed community. Constantly being thankful for the life that Jesus gave to us and always looking for ways to help one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful that you allowed us into your family. That by your grace, by the work that you, you sent your son to do, we have the opportunity to have a family like no other. One that is led by the creator of the universe. And for that, we are grateful. Father, I just ask that you would help us learn to live out that reality of being a redeemed community, that we would live it out graciously and patiently, that we would be sensitive to one another, that we would listen to one another, sit and counsel one another, and that we would show up and do the work of the ministry to one another, to, to spur one another on. And God, that we would do all of that by telling the truth that in love, that we would speak honestly before one another because we simply care. Because you first cared for us. Father, there may be somebody here that doesn't know you yet. They haven't trusted in your son and I ask that you would pierce their heart right now. Ladies and gentlemen, you may be here and you have not experienced any part of this family because you don't know Jesus. And I ask that you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead so that you may be saved. There's no time like today. Father, we thank you for your work. Thank you for the opportunity that no matter how well we have lived this out, how well others have lived this out with us, there is forgiveness, there is mercy, and we can start new today. May we do that by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.